so uh, essentially I was taken out for lunch two weeks before and said, keep this quiet, but in two weeks, this is what's happening. It was, it was an awkward, just an awkward day for sure. We didn't need to have two full teams. Right. So obviously cuts were gonna be made. It's kind of like working with friends that just happen to might take your job. By the time they had the news meeting without me, I just put my jacket on and I went home. And I never went back. This animosity is kind of pathetic. I, I think the, pro the product should be as good as we can do and we put all of our egos behind us because we all have one role, is to create good content so people read it. I didn't want to be in a position to get in the way. I guess I could have helped out from time to time. But uh, it, it's, it was his, it wasn't mine anymore. That it wasn't, I don't think, the two of them competing that, that had any relation to the fact that they're no longer here. Mm -hmm. It was just the world changed. For 26 years, two rival magazines existed as the alternative weekly press in one blue-collar Canadian prairie city. This is the story of View Weekly and C Magazine, two weekly papers that ran in Edmonton between 1992 and 2018. This is an elegy and love letter to those papers, their rise, glory days, notorious rivalry, and eventual decline. I'm Andrew Paul. I'm Fonda Mithrash. I'm Paul Blinov. And this is a tale of two weeklies. Since 1995, Edmonton's two alt-weekly newspapers, View Weekly and C Magazine, had been at odds. They were two weeklies in what had probably only ever been a one-weekly town, and for 15 years they had fought for advertising dollars, to one-up each other with story ideas and in-depth interviews, and to try and draw readers' focuses one way or another. Even though most people read both. They were, after all, free to pick up. But in the early months of 2011, the long-standing rivalry was finally going to reach a conclusion. The hatchet would be buried. Kind of. In the end, there would be just one paper left standing. It would be staffed by people from both publications. View and C would merge together under one name in a last-ditch attempt to stave off the print media's increasingly bleak prospects. Even as they came together, ending more than a decade of rivalry, the question of who among both papers' staffs would retain their jobs remained. Two newsrooms met, blended together, and worked away on the next issue, all while waiting to hear who would stay and who would go. It's hard to imagine anyone at View or C predicting that their rivalry would end in anything other than one paper's victory and the other's complete destruction. Certainly, few would have expected a coming together of any sorts was in the cards. But by 2010, it was obvious that something had to change. Neither paper was seeing the advertising they once had. While View had managed to keep itself around 40 pages per week, C had dwindled in size to an average of 28 pages per issue. In 2009, Mike Seek was View Weekly's production manager. He more or less understood the history of the paper's split, but it's something that happened before his time there. He experienced the division more in terms of the scarcity of resources it caused for both papers. I knew that there was definitely a personal situation between Ron and someone over there. Mm -hmm. um, and it was related to a history that I was not involved with and I didn't fully understand. I also knew that we had been competing for ad dollars for many years and it had held both of us back, both papers back. Mm -hmm. Had there only been one paper in Edmonton in the 90s and early 2000s, it might have created a situation where the paper that was the only paper would have survived until today, mm -hmm. perhaps. But I doubt it. That's like hard to imagine 
that it wasn't, I don't think, the two of them competing that, that had any relation to the fact that they're no longer here. Mm-hmm. It was just the world changed. By the late 2000s, print media's growing instability was beginning to buckle the industry. The internet was hoovering money away from print through free online classifieds and its wide-range advertising opportunities, and readership was drifting. Print publications across North America were hemorrhaging in ways they'd never hemorrhaged before. Every day, journalists were being asked to do more work with less resources, all while trying to keep up with the speed of the internet and its thirst for as-it-happens coverage. The results were manifesting in myriad ways, but in Edmonton, it seemed to take the form of strange bedfellows. In 2010, a media conglomerate called Post Media purchased the paper of record in Edmonton, the Edmonton Journal. Five years later, Post Media would acquire the Sun newspaper chain as well. While both papers continued publishing, as of today's date in December 2019, they both still are publishing, they were being made in a single newsroom, which still diligently put out two different daily spins on the exact same stories and coverage which all seemed like a smoke-and-mirrors approach, hiding the trickle away of resources and reporting power behind the appearance of two daily outlets. Years before that, around the same time that Post Media was acquiring the journal, the merging of the alt-weeklies was starting to play out. Ron Garth, View Weekly's long-standing publisher and owner, had sold his ownership of the paper to Robert or Bob Duell. Duell was president of Aberdeen Publishing, which owned and operated a series of small publications across British Columbia and Alberta. Because I'd known Bob for years uh, before that, and he'd published, he'd helped Dan with the Calgary State, Calgary. And I used to go down and, and uh, pick his brain, you know, because he'd been publishing stuff forever. Uh, and he was a good friend of, uh, he still is a good friend of uh, Dan McLeod. Uh, so uh, there was lots to be learned for me. And, uh, and then when it, it came, came time to uh, step aside, uh, it made sense if Bob was interested, it, that's, that's where it would go because he had all of that uh, business, that background. I mean, he was working with Dan in the Georgia Strait from the beginning, you know, so he he was no stranger to uh, um, what was necessary. Duell was interested in View Weekly, and Garth was, after a decade and a half, ready to let it go. Duell cordially declined to be interviewed for this project, but noted in an email that the paper's vision was always Garth's, and that Duell, quote, really only stepped in when he, being Ron Garth, needed financial help to keep it going, end quote. Garth's name remained in the masthead until the very end, listed as the paper's founding publisher. Ron and his son Mike Garth went on to found Green Line Distribution, which began using their small fleet of Japanese vans to distribute publications all over the city, including View. But aside from its physical delivery, Garth kept a certain distance from the paper once he let go of its reins. He'd pop by the Christmas parties, but didn't attempt to remain as an influence on its pages. After keeping his independent outfit afloat for 20-some years with no legal victory against C and increasing financial issues at his own paper, Ron Garth had made peace with stepping back from publishing. I didn't want to be in a position to get in the way. I guess I could have helped out from time to time. But uh, it, it's, it was his. It wasn't mine anymore. And that was, that was time I was tired, too. I mean, I'm old, you know? <laughs> Just look at me. For the record, in 2019, Ron Garth is now 74 years old. He was 47 when he started C, and 50 when he organized the midnight run to start up View Weekly. We'd all done it for a long time, like years, 23 years, 20, 20 years, whatever it was. It was a long time. It was just relentless. And, uh, and so that and the struggling with the, the finances and the legal stuff, the disappointment of that, ultimately not working out. 
Back in episode two of this series, we mentioned that in 2005, Garth filed a claim against the government of Canada, Conrad Black, Hollinger Incorporated, and C Magazine for $5.7 million in damages. He also names numerous others in this suit, 11 defendants in total. Garth's claim alleged that because Black had renounced his Canadian citizenship and Black was owner of Hollinger and part shareholder in Great West newspapers at the time, that C, being owned by Great West, wasn't actually a Canadian magazine and therefore owed significant tax revenues resulting from advertising sales. The crux of the claim being that View should be the one to collect on those tax revenues. As Garth mentions, the suit ultimately didn't work out. They waited for a hearing until June 2007, when the claim was dismissed in the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench. Garth filed an appeal. The appeal went to the Alberta Court of Appeal in 2009, which was also dismissed. Garth appealed again, but in 2011 filed a discontinuance of claim, ending his years-long Damn the Corporate Man lawsuit. The result of this case is published online. We can share a link to some of the proceedings in the show notes. But initially, when we tried to search for this case at Court of Queen's Bench, it didn't come up. Someone had misspelled the word weekly when recording the litigant, View Weekly, in its filing. Just a reminder to thank your copy editors, folks. They're important people. I made my peace with that right away. And, uh, and everything after that has been uh, somebody else's. You know, that was his, that was uh, yours and whoever else worked. And, uh, uh, but I was, I was fine. I think, uh, yeah, I attributed to uh, 20 years of burnout. Over at C Magazine, the dwindling page counts were as apparent to staff as anybody on the outside. Its editorial roster had become a revolving door, with few editors staying for significant lengths of time. The paper's then-publisher was Jeff Holubitsky, a former Daily News reporter who had taken a buyout at the Edmonton Journal, then became the publisher of C in 2009. Well, I knew we were struggling for the whole time. I tried to keep a brave face for the staff to keep everybody up, but I knew for a long time we were struggling. Um, there were meetings that were, you know, they weren't unpleasant, but it was what it was. Duff and Brian were scratching their heads, when's this ever going to turn around, you know? He's doing what he's doing, is he doing enough? Is he the guy can, you know, what? I mean, I can't, I wasn't, I didn't, I don't have the skills to go out and like force people to buy ads. You know, uh, Todd would probably be much better at that. Remember that lawsuit from our first two episodes where the receivers of C Magazine and Great West sued Ron Garth and View for his printing bill plus damages? The one that was filed back in 1995? Basically, it was tucked away for the better part of 16 years. Garth and View didn't have the money to settle, and they never countersued on that claim, so the C receivers never got their money. That is, until someone bought C Magazine. In spring of 2011, Great West gave Holubitsky a heads up that the paper was being sold and what that meant for the staff and future of C Magazine. So uh, essentially I was taken out for lunch two weeks before and said, keep this quiet, but in two weeks, this is what's happening. We're going to come to the office and fire everybody, including you. And I thought, we are screwed. Craig Jansen, who had been art director at Sea at the time, recalls what was quite possibly the aftermath of that very lunch, along with another moment when he felt the writing was on the wall for Sea. Jansen is now living and working in Japan as an English teacher. We were able to catch up with him in a Tokyo dessert cafe in March 2019. Uh, probably two moments that stick out in my mind. One was 
right after Best of Edmonton, which we were being hailed as like the most profitable Best of Edmonton ever. And so they bought us pizza and beer and in the toast, kind of was like made a joke about here's to next year. And Jeff kind of got, gets pale and it's like, maybe, maybe next year. And the other moment was going out to my car and Jeff had left work a little bit early and go out and he's sitting in his car and it looks like he's just staring blankly at a tree off in the distance and doesn't look happy, kind of like someone who has no clue what to do. Those were about probably a week or two before uh, Great West came in and told us with a heavy heart that we were being sold to uh, Bob Duell. In 2010, Andy Cookson was a sales representative at C Magazine. He was there when the news was broken to C staff. It had been his day off. That week, I remember I had booked time off, and uh, Jeff uh, Holobitsky had asked me to come in for Friday for a meeting. He was not really uh, clear about what it was going to be for, but uh, it was going to be something that was mandatory. And so... Uh, I came in on my, my book day off expecting to just like come sit in on a, maybe a quick meeting in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. And we're all lined up in the uh, lunchroom area, the kitchen area, in chairs. And Jeff and Brian Bushinsky from Great West announced that the paper is closing and that someone was buying the paper and that he'd be in momentarily to discuss it all with us. And so they left <laughs> and all the, basically the people that we reported to at sea or Great West walked out the door uh-huh. and everyone was just sitting kind of murmuring to each other, not knowing who's going to keep their jobs, who, <laughs> what is going to happen, who this person is that's going to take over. Did they just, did they take any questions or was it like, here's the announcement, put our coats on out the door? Yeah, it was pretty much a mic drop of just like, we're out, we're, you know, best of luck. (laughs) So, uh, and then Bob Duell walked in and it took uh, a couple minutes to sit down and smile at everybody and then explain that he was the new owner of View and that, um, or C Magazine, I guess, he purchased. And so they were going to be merging the two and that he would be interviewing everybody over the next week, trying to figure out where the redundancies were and try to find something that made sense moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, obviously, uh, we were all a little panicked at the time because, um, I mean, for me, I mean, working in the sales side and being, you know, somewhat relatively new, I think at that point I'd only been at sea for a year or two. I didn't have quite the career um, that anyone in the editorial end had, and, mm-hmm. and certainly in, in the attachment to the publication that they had. So uh, I know that there were some people that were working for C at that time that were very anxious <laughs> about if there would be a role for them because we didn't need to have two full teams. Right. So obviously cuts were going to be made. One of those cuts was Holobitsky. Right from the start, he felt excluded by the new ownership and didn't like the tone of his first experiences with them. After the announcement to see staff, he left and never went back. So I sat at my desk the next day and the owner was there and they called a news meeting but didn't invite me. They're quite rude, you know, in fact, totally rude. I was not too impressed, so by the time they had the news meeting without me, I just put my jacket on and I went home, and I never went back. I texted him at the end of the day, said, but you may have discovered I'm not around. I asked him what his plans were for me, and he didn't have an answer, so I thought, well, I'm wasting my time here. 
In an interview with MediaMag.ca shortly after the merger, Duell said, quote, Holobitsky left when we bought C because there was going to be a lot of change and it wasn't really for him. He had already retired once, end quote. That he had retired once is true, but the end of C wasn't the end of Holobitsky's career in journalism. Well, after that, I went on. I got a job uh, pretty quickly at The Sun, okay. where I worked for about six months, writing ad features okay. and that sort of thing. I really wasn't a good fit for that. And then the journal came along, and I went back to the journal for about six months as a copy editor. And I loved it. I was fitting in well around there, and uh, uh, they announced more cutbacks. So, you know, clearly I had already had a buyout from them. I wasn't going to be a guy they kept. <laughs> right, right. You know, so th that ended after about six months. And then I was the editor of the St. Albert Gazette for about two years. That interview Duell gave to Media Mag also references a post that he wrote on the VIEW website shortly after the merger. In the post, Duell states that the initial plan was to operate both C and VIEW until a team could be assembled to carry out a soft merger. However, demand from readers, contributors, advertisers, and suppliers caused the integration to happen more rapidly. Which, on the inside of the soon-to-be-just-one office, made for a stiff, tense month. Curtis Wright had been C Magazine's entertainment editor at the time of the merge and recalls his first meeting with the VIEW staff as somewhat uncomfortable. When the magazines merged, I remember going to the VIEW offices. It was the day that the Winnipeg Jets were announced that they were coming back in the league. That's why I remember it. And um, we all met in this boardroom and it was pretty awkward. I thought nice enough people for sure, but you kind of have an alignment with your own team, if you will. Sure. So it was it was an awkward, just an awkward day for sure. Everyone was moved into C Magazine's office. It was farther from the center of the city and larger, and thus a cheaper, more spacious way of handling the doubling of a newsroom. There was suddenly two people for every role at the paper, two production managers, two news editors. And that rapid integration Duel mentioned meant that just a few weeks later, there would be just one of everyone. Everyone on staff was acutely aware of this as they attempted to settle in. While the C office was fairly open concept, there was a row of desks and computers that sat one hairpin turn around a wall from the rest of the office. That's where the former C editors were during this period. On the other side of that particular wall, the former view editors took up their spaces. It was a physical divide that doubled as a strange, symbolic representation of the old divide between the papers, as people kept to the desks near their former crews. At least in editorial sections, production and advertising were in parts of the building that didn't have the same conveniently symbolic wall to divide them. Mike Seek remembers his thought process at the time. Um, but when that merger happened, there were people on both sides of that merger because it was both were purchased by the same owner. Mm -hmm. And as far as I understand, the owner did the best they could to take care of the people at both organizations mm -hmm. within his capacity to do so. Trying to make sure that at the end of the day, the best outcome, the best sort of like quality came out of the content creation process. You know, that was stuff that happened behind the scenes that I didn't fully understand. And I was just for a while wondering whether I'd have a job next week, every week. So, and I think that each of us that were involved in that merger were probably in that boat. Mm -hmm. But every time that we would meet with the owner, he was very open, very honest. Uh, a little frank, which was good. I like that. And it didn't help me know that I would keep my job, but at least to help me understand he was doing what he could to create the best possible outcome for everyone, as far as I understood it. Right. And not everyone had a good experience through that process, for sure. 
but I managed to survive it, Mm -hmm. luckily. During this transitional period, the staff were told that the masthead would be adjusted. Nobody would have their former titles. In the masthead of View Weekly's June 2nd printing of 2011, the first issue made with the combined newsroom, the entire team, editorial, production, and advertising were simply credited as staff in an alphabetical listing, which Craig Jansen recalls did little to quell the uncertainty in the air. There was a lot of tension, mostly the C staff was, because I think we felt a little bit more shafted than anyone. The guys from View, I will give them this, they were really like nice, they, you could hardly tell we were enemies, if, <laughs> but that had always been the case, like if I was out at a bar and I saw someone from View that I know, we'd sit down and have a drink, no problem, so it's kind of like working with friends that happen to might take your job. Um, a lot of the C staff, though, did not see it that way. They were really stressed, and I'm not surprised that a lot of them got themselves fired, to be honest. I think they made it harder for themselves and resisted a lot more than they should have. The names on the masthead remained titleless for another week. The week after that, roles were at least broken down and separated by department. Two names under news, two under music, four under production, and so on. Finally, in the June 23rd edition, it began to settle. One name for every title. And in the end, the job retention heavily favored the VIEW staff. All of VIEW's editors kept their jobs. In production, two VIEW staffers, Pete Nagayan and Lyle Bell, stayed on payroll, with one C staffer, Craig Jansen, remaining as well. In advertising, VIEW had only one sales rep, Rob Lightfoot. Now it was Rob and four others, Aaron Campbell, Andy Cookson, Carrie Duperon, and Megan Hall. Curtis Wright, who had been C's entertainment editor, became the staff writer. In this one meeting specifically, it was right after the merger, and this is where I, I kept my job for as long as I did with this statement. This is what Eden had told me even at one point. I basically said, you know, this animosity is so immature that it's not, it's not and I don't really speak out in group meetings very often, you know. <laughs> and I was like, this animosity is kind of pathetic. I, I think the pro- the product should be as good as we can do and put all of our egos behind us because we all have one role is to create good content so people read it and, you know, be employed. <laughs> this, is the base, this is the baseline kind of uh, measure. Chelsea Bowes, who had been one of View's production team, found herself out of a job. There's a lot of background sound in this interview. Our co-producer Paul Blinov and Bose met at Kazana, an Indian restaurant where, for a few years, the VIEW staff would often end up once the paper was out the door for the week. Yeah, the actual lead up to it was, it was sort of hopeful. I thought like, oh yeah, I remember Bob even saying like, we're, we're looking for for a, we don't want to just move this office to C office. Like we could find a, a new place, like start fresh, mm-hmm. kind of, so everyone can fit in a new new space. And I actually went to like real estate listings and was looking mm-hmm. for an office right. <laughs> that could have fit everyone. And then I remember feeling like such a fool, like I fell for, I fell for his trick. The ruse, yeah, well, they never moved from that office. That was where the paper <laughs> stayed until it ended. And that office was where View remained until the paper closed in 2018. Where the old one had been minutes from the downtown core, the new one was much further north and west. It was a significant distance from the hotspots in the city, the places where protests or important announcements would take place. 
And if you know anything about Edmonton's public transit system, having a car is kind of essential. And many Weekly staffers didn't have cars. Samantha Power, View Weekly's news editor at the time, remembers how the distance affected the day-to-day of her job. I, you know, it's funny because I think the biggest thing that made a difference for, for me in how we approached this merger or what was happening is that we all had to move to the C offices because they were, I think, probably more affordable or, or whatever the deal was. And that felt really strange is because for the most part, the view structure was kept intact. I don't can't remember the exact deal of the merger, but most of the view editors kept their jobs and most of the C editors were let go. So in that way, it sort of felt like we were keeping our our mandate and structure intact. But having to work out of the C offices felt very strange because they're in such a they were in such a weird location and it felt very removed from what I would consider us to be reporting on, like being downtown with accessibility to transit and being able just to get to locations. I mean, you forget how important that is. Um, And if you don't have that easy ability, then it puts one more impediment in your way to actually getting to the story. So that felt really strange. And working out of their offices in general just felt they were much more, they weren't the sort of like dingy, cobbled together, a self-made structures that existed in the view offices. It was like a corporate office. It felt strange. <laughs> it felt like a really great job, but it, you know, the pay wasn't great, and you you yourself don't have a lot of resources. So to be able to go out and actually report on things, it was like, oh my god, now I have to plan around this. Like, yeah, it made a difference. The merger altered more than just the newspaper's masthead and its office location. There were external changes as well to try and redistribute the reach of two papers into one new entity. Dual increased views circulation. Previously, its weekly output had been 23,000 issues, while C had been printing 19,000. The new version of View was putting out 30,000 issues a week. But after all that, what was generally seen as a victory for View in this long-fought alt-newspaper war ultimately rung hollow. Even with the new combined team, doubts lingered on the peripheries, as a new publisher also meant new focuses for the paper. In the years leading up to the merger, View Weekly had been recording bands in the office studio, editors were learning how to edit film, and pushing out more and more digital content. After the merger, the push for developing those skills dried up. Dual doubled down on the print product itself, keeping online focus on supporting the main product. In Duell's interview with MediaMag.ca, the writer Afton Akins notes that online readers may notice some changes to the publication as Duel brought in a new development company in mid-June. However, social media will not play a larger role. Then he quotes Duel in saying, We're in the business of newspaper publication. There's a lot of talk about newspapers disappearing, but there's a lot of people who still like to read them, and we're doing better than we did last year. I don't see that we need to migrate the publication away from the print format. We'll support it with social media. The turn away from online resources is something that stuck out for Mike Seek. So once the merger happened and there was just one paper, mm-hmm. um, still with too much overhead, still with too many people um, on payroll, mm-hmm. um, and still not enough advertising revenue coming in, and it's a constant. That's a constant battle, and so that. I, I could see that in those years after the merger, as they moved into the new location um, and amalgamated all the staff together and worked through that process, they still weren't able to make a go of it. It was 
relatively obvious. There was no more content being created, digital content being created outside of a slideshow once in a while. The fringe coverage was still pretty strong, but the, the again, the video content of that was relatively low compared to previous years. Mm-hmm. So we weren't keeping up with anything digital or online, really. We were just like, let's make sure we can make a paper first. And with that, the war between the weeklies was over. Not with a bang, but with the soft lob of one crumpled ball of newsprint into the trash can. As the surviving paper, View had won the war that began with its creation. Or did it? With high stress and low morale, and all of the same financial troubles as before, View was far from taking a victory lap. As the new management shrugged at the ongoing changes in the digital landscape, the paper's relevance began to dwindle in the community, and for advertisers. Frequent turnover of staff continued, but View would soldier on for seven more years. Next time on A Tale of Two Weeklies. Is it harder to keep a child alive or an an all-weekly circa like 2013? The realization, I guess, that that, yeah, this is just not going to work out. It's tragic. We should be doing a better job of understanding what's happening in online reporting and and self-reporting and all of the citizen journalism that was happening, which is essentially what alt-weeklies were born from. So to be honest, and it's going to sound callous, but I was not sad to see View go. So it was a toxic workplace. And then there was the struggle between advertising and editorial just became so prominent. But there was people willing to pour their guts into it to do it for very little money. They stopped caring about the writers. They stopped caring about the people who were making fuck all. Life got a lot better the day I walked out of there. Tale of Two Weeklies is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonder Mithrush, and Paul Blinov. Music is by Luke Thompson. Artwork is by Michael Nunweiler. This series was made possible with project support from the Edmonton Heritage Council. Special thanks to Edmonton Community Foundation for use of their recording studio.